Hello again, podcast listeners. This is the latest educational podcast and the latest episode of the Georgia High School Principals Podcast, a podcast by high school principals for high school principals and all educators of Georgia. I am your host, Jim Finch, and I'm the principal of Mary Persons High School located in Forsyth, Georgia. Our mission and vision of this project is to interview high school principals across our state for the sake of professional learning. Thanks for listening to the Georgia High School Principals Podcast. And feel free to share this episode and all episodes on your preferred format, whether that be iTunes or Podbean or any of the other hosting services that um, our, our podcasts are found on. Today's podcast is Season 1, Episode 11. We're taking a break from our normal series of interviews with current or sitting principals. And for this episode and some other ones that we've done before, We're interviewing former principals who are now in a different educational role or whose job duties and responsibilities uh, support the work of principals. So today's guest for episode 11 is none other than Dr. Paul Shaw, who works at the Georgia Professional Standards Commission. How are you today, Dr. Shaw? I'm doing great. Good to hear from you, John Finch. So for our podcast listeners, it's worthy to note that if Dr. Shaw shows up to your school, it usually means there are some not-so-good things about to happen. But as aspiring leaders or lead learners in your school, it's also important to note that participating in professional learning with Dr. Shaw is the best way to learn from him. Because if you have to experience his role at the PSC, it may mean bad things for you or one of your staff. So... Pay attention as we dive into several topics that Dr. Shaw thinks are highly important to high school principals and other aspiring leaders across the state. Before we get into that, we will go over a couple of uh, items that we ask all of our our guests to go over. So, Dr. Shaw, if you could just tell us a little bit about your educational resume and a little bit about your background. Okay. I started off as a teacher and a coach and then quickly moved into administration I was assistant principal and principal, and then assistant superintendent and superintendent. I actually had been superintendent for 26 years. I was a superintendent in in South Carolina for 11 years, excuse me, for 15 years, and uh, superintendent in Georgia for 11 years. Wow. Uh, I think it's, it's worthy to note to our listeners as well that uh, Dr. Shaw, he's a, a superintendent for as long as he's been a superintendent. He's actually been recognized in two different states as being a state superintendent of the year, both in Georgia and in South Carolina. So uh, we congratulate him on that because we know he's had a long, distinguished uh, career of being an educational leader. Um, tell us a little bit about your current job there at the PSC and how long you've been in that position. Okay, I'm just completing my eighth year as Director of Educator Ethics. And, of course, our job is to uh, handle the complaints that uh, we receive and uh, look and investigate and perhaps sanction educators that have made what I would call poor choices. We actually get about 125 complaints per month, and we also, during the uh, commission meeting, we're issuing sanctions to some educators that we've already investigated. We're also doing negotiated consents for some that feel like that maybe the sanction was too severe, but they were willing to take a lesser sanction, which allows us to resolve it without having to go to court. And then we're dealing with new applicants who have maybe had a criminal history. So bottom line, our commission deals about 250 ethical complaints, uh, ethical issues uh, each month. 
so you're not short on any work over there. Um, no, we, we have enough to do. <laughs> I hear you. Um, tell us a little bit about your why. Why is it that you work at the PSC after such a long career as being an educational leader? Well, I, I think what happened is, is that I, I retired and started working at a college teaching, and then the opening came up at the Professional Standards Commission, and I was kind of contacted and asked to at least look into it, and I really wasn't sure I was going to take that, but I missed the uh, comradeship with uh, principals and superintendents, and as we talked, I realized I could stay connected to them, and it actually turned turned out to be a good decision. I've enjoyed my years uh, at the PSC. It's certainly something different each time, and uh, we really do try to be proactive and try to keep uh, teachers out of trouble, but at the same time, if we've got one that doesn't need to be teaching, perhaps I can help administrators to uh, encourage teachers to find another vocation. Okay. What about some career aspirations? I know that you're already retired, so your next steps may be full retirement, but uh, do you have anything that may go on further past the PSC? Uh, I may continue to teach some courses part-time, uh, maybe do just a little bit of work with boards. Uh, I, I do some of that now with uh, Georgia Leader Associates, but uh, mainly we'll probably, after I finish with the PSC, kind of turn it over and let the, the younger generation handle it and handle it well. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your family, Dr. Shaw, or any hobbies or special interests that you may have. Sure. Of course, I'm uh, married. And let's see, I have to use my fingers and toes. I've been married 48 years. Well, I see she's a retired nurse. I have uh, two children. Uh, Ashley is my oldest. She's a daughter. She's married and lives in Columbia, South Carolina. She works for the Department of Revenue as their deputy superintendent for um, strategic planning and communication. She has two sons, Rogers, who's in the ninth grade, and Charles, who's in the fourth grade. And then we have uh, a son, Brian, and he lives in Asheville, North Carolina. He has two daughters, one that's in the uh, 11th grade and then one that is in the 6th grade. And um, he is working, just changed jobs, and works for AES out of um, um, Mount Airy, North Carolina. And I'm not sure exactly what he does, but he, he will be the head salesman. Okay. Any special interest or any hobbies that you may have picked up along the way? Well, I, I enjoy playing golf. If you saw me play, you'd question whether I, I play it a lot or not. I'm, but I, I still enjoy getting outside and doing that. I like uh, the college football and basketball. I like spending time with my grandchildren. And uh, I do a little bit of reading as well. So that's kind of my uh, enjoyment. Okay, today's topics of conversation with Dr. Shaw are going to center around uh, ethics and things like social media and um, you know, finances, school level investigations, and as, as we always do with all of our podcast guests, some advice for aspiring leaders. So let's go ahead and dive into some of the questions that we have here. Um, just, to, just to kind of kick us off, tell, tell us what may be the top number one complaint that you receive there, either from, you know, a parent or from the school. What is it that's the number one complaint on an educator today? Well, uh, if I were to go with, the, let's go with the number one sanction because uh, that's probably a little truer because we can get complaints from our parents all the time about principals and teachers, but uh, basically it's inappropriate communication or interaction with students. Uh, last year we had 160 educators, uh, over 160 educators that were sanctioned 
due to inappropriate conduct with students. <clears throat> if you think about that, with us only having 30, 36 weeks of school, that's every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday during school time that we have um, educators that are being sanctioned for inappropriate conduct with students. And not only that, but we have an additional 52 that we're dealing with during the summer. So that is certainly high and one that I wish that we could get lowered. But as long as we have teachers and administrators that have to uh, interact with students, sometimes almost 24-7, it leads to some poor decision-making. What do you think has kind of helped facilitate that contact between? Well, certainly the, the cell phone enables people to immediately reach out to people through text messages and emails and Snapchat and Instagram and all of that. And we have some teachers that befriend students. And before you know it, the relationship has moved from teacher-student to a different type of relationship. I'll kind of segue into social media there. You started mentioning some of those. You know, what what should a system's policy on social media address? Well, certainly I would recommend that that, uh, the, that they not have, I mean, that they have a policy to make very clear guidelines that any electronic communication done between an educator and a student should be done simply on school business. I also would recommend that when you are communicating with the student that you copy your supervisor and that way that will certainly uh, discourage you from making any kind of cute remark or uh, suggestive remark to the students. Also would encourage principals to look at some forms of social communication and um, like remind because that can be sent out to students and it's a school website or school uh, software type of situation where it makes it easy for teachers and students to communicate and maybe take some of that uh, private uh, communication out of the loop. Okay, when you say private communication, you're talking about like backdoor messaging or direct messaging? Yeah, or even the, you know, Snapchat where, you know, you uh, just had it for a little while. I can't understand why you'd want to Snapchat a student. And uh, certainly we have uh, teachers that will send inappropriate emails like or text like, Tell the student how good they look today with what they had on and uh, things that's what I would call grooming. And uh, we also, unfortunately, have some that at night they're uh, having a little bit of alcohol and, and they all of a sudden decide they're going to send a little text message to one of their favorite students. And uh, it just, I can't think of a reason you need to text a student at some, uh, 10 o'clock at night. So what can principals or aspiring leaders do with their faculty to be proactive about those dangers of social media in, in the workplace with students and, and, well, and adults? Well, I think first of all, what you do is remind them the, of, of your expectations. And, and that includes not only the, the social media, but, you know, what do you do if a student needs to ride home? Or what happens if you're coaching and at the end of the day uh, a parent has not shown up to take a kid and you don't want to leave them at school? What is the expectation for how you handle that? What is the expectation for you if you're on an overnight field trip of how much supervision the, the students have? I, I think you just need to talk about scenarios and expectations. Certainly look at the, the 10 standards that we have in the Code of Ethics, maybe cover one uh, each month uh, to talk about that. Uh, but I think the, the, the real thing is if you can establish an ethical culture in your school and work towards that, I think everything else will fall in place because the people's doing uh, what they're supposed to be doing, then certainly test scores will go up, uh, behaviors go improve, and I think that you'll have uh, much more success. So 
I, I, the things that you stress are what's being done. If you talk about the code of ethics at the beginning of the year and let them go and, and go through that uh, software program and, and that's all you do, then you've, you've sent a message that's not important. And uh, so the things that you want done is got to be constantly reminded. It certainly helps to talk about situations. Uh, maybe if just something makes the news, you might want to remind teachers. And the other thing I would really emphasize is it seems like after testing that students and teachers think school is over, and we have a lot of teachers that make foolish mistakes at the end of April and May, and that's a real time that I think principals need to be very vigilant and uh, remind their staff of what they need to do and also discourage them from having uh, students in their classroom uh, late in the afternoon um, and evening when no one else is there. So when you get one of these reports, who's typically making this report? Is it the student that brings this to light or the parent or just kind of a combined effort of that or is the school? How is it that the PSC discovers this evidence or is first made aware of it? Well, normally we get uh, complaints from the school system because all educators are mandated reporters if they're aware or believe that a violation of the Code of Ethics is, has been done. And most systems have a protocol where a principal would report it to uh, HR. HR would then either report it to PSC or send it to the superintendent to uh, report to the PSC. So that's where we get a right good many of it from the school system themselves as they investigate complaints made by parents, students, and uh, teachers. Okay, let's move over into another little area of um, sure. ethics, of uh, honesty. And um, I, I know that most educators will typically tie this into things like resume or filling out an application, but uh, I'm going to try to move it into the area of honesty where it deals with finances. Uh, what's some of the okay. major activity that y'all see there at the PSC involving honesty and, and money? Well, I, I think there's two scenarios. One is where an event happens in their life and they get desperate for money and so they try to figure out an angle of maybe, quote, borrowing some money or use a little bit of money, spend it inappropriately to kind of help with, with bills. An example of that would be if, um, um, you know, you got two kids in college and your car needs repair and, and you just run out of money, so you do something like that. I think that is some, a lot, or we've actually had one or two that had gambling debts, uh, one or two that were having an affair, and that gets expensive when you're trying to uh, treat two people to, um, I guess, a different lifestyle. And but I think a lot of it, particularly with teachers, is just poor management of money. They're disorganized. They can't keep up with it. And when we have fundraisers and things where teachers have to deal with money as well as teach and all the other duties they have, they just do a poor job of the record keeping and that gets them in trouble because when there's money missing, even if they pay it back, that's, co that's commingling money and uh, should be reported. So I always try to tell principals, try not to have fundraisers if you've got to have them and let your PTO or your bookkeeper handle all of the money. And, um, you know, if worse comes to worse and you've got to use teachers, I laugh and they say, use your two worst teachers. Then when they mess up, you can get rid of them. <laughs> That's, a good, That's a good duty responsibility check on those, right? Uh, speaking of checks um, and fundraising, you know, what would be your advice about and you've talked a little bit about the fundraising fraud and, and check writing that comes about with that. But, 
usually in a high school you're going to see that you don't you don't see as much school-wide fundraising but you do have these booster clubs that are doing their own fundraising to help support their area so are there any safeguards that you think need to be in place as far as principals supervising booster clubs and their you know their financial transparency and their fundraising and their check writing well let's talk first of all about uh maybe school organizations raising money certainly you need to have some type of protocols in there about as soon as they get money they need to write a receipt at the end of the day they bring it to the bookkeeper who has designated and they get a receipt as well so that's a paper trail people should never keep money overnight and keep it in the desk or in the filing cabinet it ought to be a daily situation where they turn that money in and get a receipt. Anytime they're getting money from a parent or a student, they should write a receipt, so everybody should have a receipt book. Those are the types of things I think that you can just insist upon uh, with your teachers. As far as the coaches and their uh, buying things with their budgets or uh, especially on one of them, just remind them that you have certain protocols in place and they're expected to be followed. If they're not, that uh, they're not going to be paid for. So sometimes coaches and others want to run down to the store and get something and charge it to the school, or they want to call a um, salesman and get something, and they don't use a purchase order, and they don't sign the, the invoice when it comes in and do the inventory. And those things are in, in place for a reason, because auditors expect you to have a good paper trail. As far as principals, you ought to sit down every month with the bookkeeper and go over all the checks that were written, look at them, see what was spent, who signed it, things of that sort, that you will have knowledge of. If something looks funny, then you can address it right then. Don't just assume your bookkeeper is going to take care of you. Uh, and certainly that's easy to do because none of us, or very few of us have had accounting courses. And uh, we, we went to school 12 years and went to college four years and then went to got a master's and specialist or doctorate and then right back in the classroom or right back in the school setting. So we don't have that financial acronym we also very trusting but you've got to sit down just like if you've got your best teacher you go still observe them and you could do the same thing with the bookkeeper every month you ought to sit down with your bookkeeper and review the finances and see exactly what's going on and that's kind of what i would say for schools and, and the teachers as far as booster clubs there's two ways to do it one is that the booster club is a separate entity uh separate from the school system and they're responsible for running their own uh, I, I, that's what an attorney will tell you to do because they just feel like that um, you're just taking on too much of a challenge if you try to um, handle the booster club as well. However, I would like to say that Cartersville school system, every organization sends the money into the school system. The school system handles all of it, keeps their accounting, keeps track of it. They feel like that keeps the load off the coaches. It protects coaches from getting into trouble financially. And um, I, I personally like their way of doing it more so than, than the booster club because what I will tell people is that if you didn't have a high school, then you wouldn't have a booster club uh, because you wouldn't have it if, if there was a recreation department. So uh, the other thing that I would advise if you're keeping it separate is you tell the coaches that they do not uh, need to be an officer, nor do their spouses need to be an officer in that booster club. Because certainly then when there's bonuses given or things bought, it may look a little bit um, uh, funny. So I would, And then I would also say principals need to ask for minutes of each meeting. And certainly I think they have a right at the end of the year to sit down with the booster club 
and review their finances. I think it protects them and it also protects the, the booster club because there can, there are situations where people that volunteer to handle the booster club end up uh, spending money inappropriately. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. I uh, read some correspondence from you through the Georgia High School Association and Dr. Robin Hines that uh, one of the biggest complaints that you're receiving now is profanity on the uh, on the athletic fields. Can you kind of talk to us about that so principals can be advised as how to deal yeah, with that going you. forward? That's kind of what we're trying to address this year, or one of the things we're addressing. And what, what I will tell you is it looks like we have double standards for coaches, and I don't mean that in an ugly way because coaches do a tremendous job of influencing kids, and a lot of students stay in school simply because of sports. A lot of attend higher education because of what coaches have done for them. So I certainly think that coaches uh, are, are an asset to the public schools. But where I draw the line is that um, some of these coaches use right filthy language on the uh, practice field and at the games and what to, to motivate their students. What I would tell you is if an English teacher or a math teacher used the same language that a coach uses uh, to motivate their students, they wouldn't have a job for very long. And the last time I checked, coaches are teachers and have a certificate issued by the TSC and are expected to abide by the uh, Georgia Code of Ethics for Professional Educators just as teachers in the classroom are because the coaching is an extension of the classroom, they're working with uh, students in the district, and they're using school facilities. And I know that all of us from time to time will slip up and use some words, but certainly when you start using the F-bomb words and some of the others, I just don't think there's any place for it with kids that are under the age of 18 and I just ask coaches to try to, to be a better role model when it comes to that because I cannot defend the filthy language that comes out of the mouth of some coaches. Okay, let's talk about school level and school-based investigations. Um, how do schools or principals maybe mishandle their investigations and what do you think are some best practices to improve um, that principals need to do to improve when they're conducting their investigations? Well, first of all, we as educators are very trusting. We believe in, in people and we want to believe when somebody tells us something without conducting what I would call a very thorough investigation. And what I would say is that when you hear rumors, even if you don't believe it, you've got to do a thorough investigation. And I would recommend on something very serious that you involve the police um, uh, and, and have them also check because here's what happens. If the police conduct the investigation as well and they find nothing to it, it kind of uh, vindicates the educator and, and shows that we did, didn't try to sweep it under the, the, the rug. But also sometimes we investigate and, and uh, find out there is, is really uh, something to it. And unfortunately, we do have educators that, that will lie, and certainly that's human nature. If you get ready to lose your job, and uh, then you go lie, uh, about it, particularly if you're having some type of, of an affair with a student. And um, I'll just give you one example of a good friend of mine that he had the accusation that the uh, coach was having an affair with a student and he called the, uh, the coach in and told him about it. The coach tore up and down that that was, that was untrue and he didn't know how the rumor started, but there was nothing to it. And uh, the principal believed that and and went about the business and unfortunately about three weeks later something else happened and they discovered that it was true and then of course you know he took appropriate action at that point in time but i think that that what we want to do is is take the word of the adult without any other checking 
And the other thing I would advise uh, an educated person to do if they're investigating is investigate all the witnesses and people like that first to get their stories. Then the accused you want to interview last. Is that, is, I'm going to assume that's for the um, witness tampering piece, do you think? Well, uh, lots of things. You want to do the witness first so they can't get together and, uh, and, and, and you know, have a, a, the same story. You want to hear everybody's you know, side, so you want to keep them separate and talk with them. But, yeah, and another reason is you don't want that educator going to the uh, students and saying, hey, now when they call you in, I want you to tell them this and this. Right. So, yeah, there's two reasons. Okay. Uh, you've covered some of this. Um, I, I think your top reason that a educator or an administrator or whomever in, in education is has their certificate revoked or suspended is probably student staff conduct and contact. Is that what we're is that what you're saying from earlier? Well that that's the number one. Uh, secondly is, is honesty and, and but that really covers a lot of things. It covers uh, the pre-service students and, and teachers that are applying and when they complete the application they don't put in uh, maybe that they were shopped at today's 19 and think that's no longer on the record and so when we run the background check and find out they do have a criminal history and they've checked no that becomes an honesty issue we have some that uh, in special education that when they're doing IEPs they run out of time and trying to get things done so they will uh, talk with the parent and sign the parent's name to it, but they're told the phone and get teachers to sign, even though they've not had a meeting. We have a few that claim they're sick, and you go to the Facebook page, or they've been to Disney World, or they've uh, went out of town to Charleston. Um, so, you know, we have a, a lot of those, but, but I think that, that that's something that can be worked on, and particularly at the college level, because we're dealing with kids that are 19, 20 years old, just to do a better job of knowing how to complete the applications. Um, so I, I think that the one that I think sometimes coaches are guilty of is using their computers inappropriately, and uh, not only coaches but others that uh, will go on inappropriate websites, and that really has to do with social media as well. But um, again, I don't think most educators will go uh, to school on a day and say, well, we'll see what I can violate today. I think they truly want to work with students. I think they truly want to make a difference with kids. And just sometimes it's kind of like when you're driving. You can be a careful driver, but every once in a while you have a lapse of judgment, you may get in an accident. Same thing with the teacher, because they have opportunities every day to make the wrong decision. I've been a high school principal for 14 years now, and when I tell people that, most oftentimes they respond to me saying, well, wow, I bet you've seen it all. But listening to you, Dr. Shaw, it, it kind of puts my uh, seen it all in perspective, I bet you have really seen it all. Well, when I started the job and being a superintendent for 26 years, I thought I'd seen it all, but realized I hadn't seen but the tip of the iceberg. And even now, every day, I'm amazed at the creativity of some educators. Well, let's move into our last little segment here for this episode. Okay. And um, this always involves some advice for aspiring leaders. And um, when you think back to your time in the building or even as a superintendent, what kind of advice would you give to a teacher who's considering moving into an educational administrator role? Well, the first thing I tell a teacher, do an outstanding job in the classroom. That usually gets you noticed more than anything else. Secondly, I would say to, to volunteer for some uh, duties 
whether it be supervising at, at recess or whether it be helping a system making some reports at the end of the day, learning how, what some of the paperwork is that the administrator has to complete, uh, just trying to, to get different experiences. I also would say, as part of your professional development, you might want to go visit another school and see how they do things because there's more than one way to do things. And I just like I can't be Dr. Jim Finch, you can't be Paul Shaw. It, it, you have to learn who you are, what your strengths and weaknesses and beliefs are. And certainly I've learned a lot from everybody I've worked with. I've learned some things to do and some things not to do from working with other people. So when you think about assistant principals and when you made that transition into the principal role, what, what kind of advice would you give to an assistant principal who was wanting to make the jump to the principal's office? Uh, a couple of things again. You know, uh, one is to do a good job as assistant principal. Number two is to try to expand your experience level by taking on other projects, other avenues. You used to, uh, and it's much better now, but back when I was uh, uh, going through the assistant principal's job, the, the uh, you know, we were known to do the three Bs, which were books, butts, and buses. And um, you certainly want to do a lot more than that. You want to do some evaluations in the classroom and some observations. You certainly want to have some conversations to help improve the instruction. You certainly want to look at, at the data and, and see what that tells you. I think you want to let people know that you're interested in making a move. You've got to start networking with other assistant principals. You want to go visit uh, some other schools uh, just to see what's going on. And that's inside the district and outside the district. Because when people know you and know your commitment, it certainly is a lot easier to get the job. And as you well know, the, the toughest job to get is that first one. It's tough for a teacher to move from a teacher to assistant principal. It's tough for an assistant principal to move to principal. It's tough, the toughest job for a principal to move to district office or superintendency because everybody's kind of looking for experience. But like everything else, somebody has to give you a chance at some point in time. So you just got to make yourself um, uh, marketable by having some good, successful experiences, by widening your scope. Uh, you have some people that certainly know a lot about athletics and extracurricular activities and others that really know nothing about athletics. So they've got to work on that. You've got some that need to learn more about financial accounting and, and, and management of that. So you've got, and no one can ever be perfect and, and know everything, but you've got to work to continue to build. You can't just trust everybody. You can hire people that have an expertise, but then you want to learn from them to increase your, your, your strengths or at least improve upon your weaknesses. But I would also say always focus on your strengths and continue to build them. I always like to use the example of uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan probably loved baseball as much as he uh, liked basketball, and but he wasn't a very good player. He couldn't hit a curveball. If he had spent time working on his weaknesses instead of on his strengths, he probably never would have been a professional uh, basketball player. So you really got to always continue to focus on your strengths because that's what got you where you are now, but continually try to at least enhance and improve other areas so that you're at least knowledgeable. Okay. Finally, let's kind of talk about state associations and, and being a member of state associations. How, how important is it for an aspiring leader or a current sitting principal to be involved in things like, like Gale or GASSP or GSSA? Uh, how, well, I'm, how a I'm a firm believer that as a you should join your organization and try to be active in it. Of course, I know that not everybody can serve on a committee and do this, that, and the other. But I think it's a wonderful time to network. It's a wonderful time to have to talk with, with some of your peers and find out what they're doing. And uh, I think that, that part of, uh, of, of the professional organization is to help people grow. 
and to put you in places. And let me tell you, when people know you and know who you are, they're much more likely to employ you than just somebody that, that sends a sheet of paper in saying, hey, I want a job. I'm not saying you can't get it that way, but uh, the other thing I would tell people is I really need to work on really having what I would say a sharp-looking uh, resume. Uh, it doesn't have to be 20 pages long. In fact, if I had got one 20 pages long, I'd already looked at it because I felt like the people were trying to impress me with, with words rather than with ability. But uh, I think you want to have a real good cover letter when you and, and individualize it to the job you're looking at. But bottom line is that if I wanted to know something about somebody that applied uh, for a job and, and they were coming from Monroe County, I would certainly call you because I know you. So that 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 would help that person. I think if if they were from your area and you gave them a good recommendation, I'd be much more likely to employ them than somebody I didn't know. All right, so for our podcast listeners, I want to thank you for listening to episode 11 of our first season here on the Georgia High School Principals Podcast. This is a podcast by high school principals for high school principals and all educators in Georgia. I'm your host, Jim Finch, and I want to thank today's guest, Dr. Paul Shaw of the Georgia Professional Standards Commission as today's guest. So thank you, Dr. Shaw, for taking time out of your busy schedule and speaking with us today. Thank you. I appreciate what what you do and uh, wish you continued success. Well, we certainly appreciate you joining us today. Dr. Shaw's topics today were about ethics and honesty and financing, and and obviously we had some advice for some aspiring leaders there towards the end. So, as always, podcast listeners, please feel free to share this podcast on all platforms of social media. We look forward to recording future podcasts with other principals and other educators in our great state. So, for now, we are signing off, and thanks for listening.